We started a new series last week called Build an Ark, and we've been talking about operating in God's covenant of protection. Our master text that we went over verse by verse last week was the entire chapter of Psalm 91. So if you would turn there with me again, Psalm 91, we're going to focus in on the first two verses in our reading of that this morning. So when you find Psalm 91, would you stand up with me and let's honor the reading of God's word. So the first two verses... Verse 1, he who dwells in the shelter, or your version may say secret place, of the Most High will rest or abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Can we read that together aloud? I will say of the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Hey, let's just go crazy right now. I'm just going to read this whole chapter. Do you mind? We we need to be reminded of of this in this day and age. Verse 3. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day. Nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. Will I satisfy him and show him my salvation? And all God's people say, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know, that is, that's the way to start out a teaching right there. Hallelujah. Now, as we move forward here, I want to quote A.W. Tozer on this. And he says, the man who has made God his dwelling place will always have a safe habitation. Hallelujah. Now, today, we're going to go to a little bit of a different direction than I went last week, because when we went verse by verse through Psalm 91 last week, we we simply focused on the, the doctrine of God's protection that's demonstrated in Psalm 91 and many other places. We talked about many other places in the Bible that talks about God's protection and those wonderful promises. But today, we're going to go a little bit of a different direction, and we're going to focus on that verse 2 in that reading, I will say of the Lord. I will say of the Lord. There's, there's, There's definite purpose and importance in the saying. So listen, if we're going to build ourselves an ark, you know, if we're going to operate in the covenant protection of God, then we have to understand the importance of the saying. We have to understand the the importance that words play in this process. So let me build you a little bit of a foundation of this teaching right now. I'm going to begin in 2 Corinthians 4.13, which says this, it is written, the apostle Paul writes, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. So if you truly believe, then the speaking must accompany the believing. That's what it says. Believing and speaking are linked. I'm going to give you another uh, passage that says essentially that same thing. A little bit more detailed here. The Apostle Paul again writes in Romans 10 verses uh, 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. 
That is, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice that it's not just the believing, it's the professing and the confessing as well. Uh, Let's continue. Um, In fact, let me back up. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So do you notice that believing must be accompanied by the confessing, by the decreeing? We first believe in our hearts and then that the consummation of our salvation that's consummated through the confessing of the Lord Jesus. So that's the foundation upon which we build this teaching that it's not enough to just believe. The confession and the decreeing must accompany the believing. Okay, back up to 1 Corinthians 4.13. I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. So, there's something about the proclaiming. There's something about proclaiming things with our mouths, especially if it's done as a lifestyle that seems to set the course of our lives. As the book of James says, our tongues can literally set the whole courses of our lives on fire if we're not careful. It goes on to say that the tongue is also so difficult to tame. You should probably go reread James chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Because in a nutshell, James says that our tongues are like the rudders of a ship, turning our lives this way or that. The tongue does that. So it's very important how we use our words. Now... I want to also refer to Genesis 17 on this point and ask the question, what's in a name? And and when we get into this, you'll understand why I'm uh, calling or heading this this slide with that question, what's in a name? Well, I'm going to refer to here in Genesis 17, 5, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, uh, because if you remember, let me give you a little bit of background about that. So God um, promised Abram, And Sarai, a son would be born to them in their old age. And many years went by, and the promise just didn't seem like it was being fulfilled. And about, what was it? Uh, I think 24 years, in fact, after that promise had been made. And it seemed like Abram and Sarai were... Uh, beginning to vacillate a little bit, and you know the, you know, the whole situation that happened uh, with uh, birthing Isaac and all that, and trying to make the promise happen in their own strength, right? So that's the kind of the backdrop of this. Well, then, fast forward 24 years, and then God appears to Abram again and, and says, I'm going to change your name, and I'm going to change your wife's name. He changed Abram to Abraham, and Abraham means exalted father, father of nations. And Sarah means princess. So what was he doing? He was causing both Abraham and the people who called out his new name to begin prophesying over him. They were literally prophesying that promise to come to pass. And guess what? In one year, Isaac was born. So what's in a name? I think it's very important. What God did here, there was, a very, there was purpose in this. He did, God doesn't do things arbitrarily. God did this on purpose because he wanted to begin to change Abram's and Sarai's mindset to Abraham, father of nations, and Sarah, princess. He wanted to begin to change their mindsets. So God, again, you write that down. God was helping to change their mindsets, and God's name changes was also a way to begin prophesying over themselves. As another example of this, and I've never heard anybody teach on this next point I'm about to make, but I was just driving down the road the other day, and and God began to minister this to me in my heart as I was driving. This is another very profound point um, on this topic that I've never considered before. But do you recall uh, what the angel of God, Gabriel, did to the priest, Zechariah, when he appeared to Zechariah in the temple and announced that a son would be born to him and his wife, 
whom they would name John, referring to John the Baptist. And Zechariah responded to the angel's words with his own words, words of doubt. Okay? He said, how can this be? He said to the angel. For I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And you know what happened next, right? The angel struck Zechariah with muteness until the child's birth. Well, I want you to observe two things about this. This is very important. Number one, God punished Zechariah for his words of doubt. That was displeasing to God. He punished Zechariah for words of doubt. You need to think about that for a second. God didn't like that very much. He punished Zechariah for words of doubt. And secondly, I find it fascinating that muteness was Zechariah's punishment for his words of doubt. So just humor me for a moment, okay? Could it be that God knew that Zechariah's words would make or break the fulfillment of that promise? So perhaps he had to stop Zechariah's mouth so that all would come to pass in the proper time. So I say again, it's very important how we use our words. Now on that note, I'm going to give you a couple of scripture, actually lots of them, scripture references along those lines. And we'll deal with the question, is it really that important how we use our words? And I'm reminded of a conversation that I had with a a, a good friend of mine. He was my best friend at the time. We both came to the Lord about the same time. We were party buddies prior to that. And I came to the Lord and he followed soon after. And we continued to run around together for quite a long time. And um, I remember one day... We were, we were visiting my mother, he and I together, and uh, we were on the, the front porch of my mother's house and just kind of leaning on the railing and enjoying the, the beautiful day. And we were talking about spiritual things. And I began talking about what I was learning about the power of declaration and words. You know what he said? He said, that's ridiculous. And this is a friend of mine. And he was like right up in my face about this. That's ridiculous. Are you, what? Well, interestingly enough... Um, his life went in a completely different direction. He ended up falling away from the Lord altogether. And um, my, the trajectory of my life just continued upward ever since. He and his wife ended up getting a divorce. He lost his job because of his getting back into drugs and that sort of thing. So, um, hmm, maybe your words do matter. Okay. So I want to read to you the words of Jesus out of Mark eleven twenty three. 23. Jesus said this, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt. That's a key one too. See, listen, words and, and, and belief go hand in hand, right? Okay. Um, so truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. See, it's not enough to just believe. That's the starting place, but then the believing must be followed up with the proclamation of what you're believing. Let me give you another passage along these lines, Old Testament this time, Proverbs 18, verses 20 through 21. From the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled. With the harvest from his lips, he is satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, by the way, I know that many of you in the room have heard me teach on this before. And when I teach on the power of words and declaration, it's always pretty much the same teaching with a few variations, which I'll have some, and already have had, some variations to my previous teachings on this this morning. But there's some other things that I always include in my teaching on declaration and words. And some of you have already heard this, but several of you in the, in the room who are a bit newer to our congregation have never heard me preach on this before. So some of this is totally brand new to you. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do for you what God did for me because I'm more of a, I'm an analytical kind of guy. I'm, you know, I process things and, and um, I like science and 
I don't know, just the way that God has wired me. Sometimes I'll, I'll need some additional validation on certain things. Um, maybe that's a, I don't know, maybe you could say that's a lack of faith on my part, but just I, I process through things. And so when I was learning about the power of words, it was, it was like, wow, I mean, how can that be? And just, there was some issues that I was struggling with along those lines. So God put some things in my hands that really helped me along these lines. I'm going to share those same things with you. So the first one, I'm going to share with you, is um, a gentleman by the name of Emil Cui. That's an odd name, but it's French. And Emil Cui was a French psychologist and pharmacist who pioneered the concept of auto-suggestion as a method of healing in the 1920s. See, he noticed that remedies given with positive declarations of health worked better than the remedies by themselves. Okay, so in other words, when people were taking medicine or remedies of some sort by themselves, they didn't work as well as people taking those same remedies along with positive declarations of health. All right, and, and by the way, <laughs> uh, Emil Cui, uh, he, this whole concept of auto-suggestion really began to take off in France and certain places throughout Europe. Then he came to the United States and began to tour and to lecture on auto-suggestion. And he was laughed to ridicule and scorn so much that he canceled his tour and he said, okay, you do whatever you think you need to do. I'm going back to France. So we in our intellectualized, our exalted opinion of ourselves and our intellectual, you know, uh, we, we reject things that we can't explain necessarily with science. So we, he was laughed to scorn and he went back to France, and the concept never took off here in the West. Well, Emil Cui was known to state that each person has the solution to their own problem. Each person has a solution to their own problem. And he, he stated, quote, you have in yourself the instrument of your cure. And his, here's his famous mantra that he, he coined, day by day in every way, I'm getting better and better. Now, as an avid reader, I've discovered that making declarations is a common theme of wealth-oriented materials of the non-Christian world. You see, they've stumbled upon something that is very biblical, they just don't know it's biblical. And a lot of the church, by the way, has rejected these things. Because some people say, well, this is New Age, or this is that name-it-and-claim-it gospel, and they scorn it as well. By the way, don't be so quick to scorn something you don't understand. Because Psalm 1 says, blessed are those who do not sit in the seat of mockers. Hello. So yes, I realize that there's people out there that say you know, negative things about this. Let's name it and claim it. Or it's new age or whatever. But let me ask you this. Would you object if I can show you how this is a very biblical concept and would you object if I could show you how this is also very scientific? And let me ask you this question as a follow-up. If you're not getting the kind of results that you want in life, why would you want to keep doing something that hasn't been working for you? As Albert Einstein once said, that insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So I want to quote here T. Harv Ecker. Now, I don't think that T. Harv Ecker is a Christian, but he wrote a book called Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, and one of the concepts that he talked about in that book is the concept of declaration and making uh, decrees and declarations. In fact, he said, uh, I read, read that book and actually listened to it on audio several times, and he's kind of a character, and he actually read his own audio book, and, and so I got to kind of get a little bit of a glimpse of what kind of person he is. He's kind of a character. And he said, when I first started learning about the concept of making declarations, I thought it was the hokiest thing in the world. But then I started doing it, he said, and now I'm a millionaire. Now, of course, that's not the only thing that he did, um, which, of course, is the reason he wrote the book Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, but it was one of the things that was in his recipe for becoming a millionaire. But anyway, T. Harvey Ecker says this, if you want to move to a new level in your life, you must break through your comfort zone and practice doing things that are not comfortable. 
I want to say that again. If you want to move to a new level in your life, you must break through your comfort zone and practice doing things that are not comfortable. All right. So I'm going to right now transition and go into a little bit of science for you because I want to give you the same thing that helped me to understand this better, and the scientific validation for this concept, and then we'll, we'll dive back into the Word of God a little bit as well. So do you care if we take just a little bit, a few minutes on science? you care? Okay. All right, here we go. Well, we're going to talk about quantum theory just for a moment. And uh, quantum theory, um, I, I won't get into that I'm like super, super deep because it's like really, really out there science. I mean, you have to be, well, anyway. <laughs> science validates that words have creative energy. Uh, quantum, uh, quantum theory has validated that words and even thoughts have creative energy. Now, you science geeks, and there's several of you in the room, I think, you know that everything is made up of energy, and the energy consists of atoms that vibrate at certain frequencies. Stay with me. For the uninitiated, let's use the microwave oven as an example. I think this is one of the best examples of how uh, certain forces can affect atoms. So when you put food into the microwave oven, the microwaves um, begin to vibrate the atoms in the food faster and faster so that the food heats up by friction of those atoms. That's how it works. So the microwave is simply manipulating the atoms or the energy that's already in the food and everything else is made of similar energy and atoms and those atoms are vibrating at frequency, different frequencies depending on what they're made of and what, how dense the object is. The seats that you're sitting on right now are made up of energy. If you could take a super high-powered microscope and look at the seats that you're sitting on, you would see that there are atoms that are vibrating at certain speeds. And if you took your Bible and you took the same high-powered microscope and looked at your Bible, you'd see that there's atoms that are vibrating at a different speed. You have atoms that make up your body that are vibrating at different speeds. Okay, so why, does this, why is this important? How does this relate to our topic today? Well, in quantum physics, which is a branch of physics that seeks to explain the nature and behavior of matter and energy, or in other words, atoms, um, they've discovered that different words and thoughts carry different energies or vibrations as well. Now, by the way, I want to make just a little side note here and quote the father of quantum physics, Werner Heisenberg, who says this, I love this quote, the first gulp from the glass of natural sciences will make you an atheist, but at the bottom of the glass, God is waiting for you. Don't you love that? So if you just start skimming the surface of science, it might cause some people to not believe in God. But the, the deeper you go, the more you realize there has to be a God that designed all this. And when you start getting into quantum physics, it is so mind-blowing that you know there's a God. So I love that quote from the father of quantum physics. I'm going to read that again to you. The first gulp from the glass of natural sciences will make you an atheist, but at the bottom of the, of the glass, God is waiting for you. I love that quote. I also want to quote Albert Einstein on this, who said, everything is energy, he says. Albert Einstein. Everything is energy, and that's all there is to it. Match the frequency of the reality you want, and you cannot help but get that reality. It can be no other way. This is not philosophy. This is physics. So there's a little book that I came across when I was kind of struggling to understand this whole concept of making declarations and decrees and how that can really work and how that can really make an impact. But this little book, it's a pocket-sized book, a really quick read by Annette Capps called Quantum Faith. And when I read that book, I finally had something concrete that validated what I was learning about the power of words. So I'm going to quote a little bit out of this book if you don't care. So she first says, scientists have performed experiments with atoms and their subatomic particles such as electrons. So I'm going to give you just a little bit of diagram on that. Forgive me, I know this feels like science class right now, but uh, well, we'll move past this kind of quickly and get back into the word if that's okay. Okay, so Here's your, the subatomic particle, or, or an atom, uh, uh, and 
there in the middle is the nucleus, and orbiting that nucleus is the subatomic particles, the neutrons, and the protons, which are constantly moving, okay? And so that's, that subatomic particle is what's vibrating all the time at certain frequencies. So it just blows you away when you start getting down. Have you seen that movie, Ant-Man? Who's seen that movie? Okay, don't be ashamed. It's a, it's a clean movie. I, I actually kind of recommend that you watch that because they, they talk about the quantum realm in that movie and, and how they go, when you go deeper and deeper and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, there's a whole universe at the quantum realm that dictates what we're experiencing here on the larger realm. It's just, it's just mind-boggling how God has designed things. Okay, so let's continue with, with uh, uh, Annette Capp's book. Scientists has performed experiments with atoms uh, and their subatomic particles, such as electrons. She goes on, the interesting thing that scientists have discovered that the electron that is shown orbiting the nucleus is not always there in particle form. Follow this. It exists in a wave state until someone looks at it. Okay, so let me, let me explain how they know this. So when, when they have these super high-powered microscopes that are recording these movements in these subatomic particles, when no one's looking at it, it's, uh, it's, it, it, it's in the, a wave state. So they can go back later and look at the recordings, um, and they can see that it's in a wave state. But as soon as someone starts interacting with it and they look at it, it appears in a, in a particle form. Okay, so let's keep reading. It exists in a wave state until someone looks at it. When the scientist observes it, it suddenly appears as a dot or a particle. What we all want to know is, how does it know someone is looking at it? It knows someone is interacting with it. Okay, so let's continue. It is obviously responding to the observer's interaction with it, she writes. One of the difficulties in quantum physics is that particles behave somewhat differently for each observer, which leads me to the question, she writes, does it behave according to what the scientist believes? She goes on, in any event, we can definitely conclude that Jesus was right when he taught that all matter responds to faith and words. The substance from which our world is made is influenced and manifested by words. The things that you desire are made up of atoms. And they know what you believe, hear what you say, and behave accordingly. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Hallelujah. Now let me, let me add a thought here. You know, she says here that the substance from which our world is made is influenced and manifested by words. God created the universe with what? Words. words. He didn't just think it and bam, it came into existence. He spoke it. He spoke it. He says that we are co-laborers with him. And in Ephesians 5.1, it says to imitate God as dearly loved children. Imitate God. He made his co-laborers with him. So is it possible that God has given us, in delegating his authority to us, he's given us the power to shape our world to at least some degree with the power of our belief and the power of our declaration through that belief? I'm just really curious. How many in the room have never heard that talk before? Anybody? A bunch of you. Okay, I'm glad you're here today. All right, let's keep going. Okay, so let's talk about releasing the power of declaration then. In Job, chapter 22, verse 28, it says, You will also decree a thing, and it will be established for you, and light will shine on your ways. Now, David knew this when he faced Goliath, and he did something similar to what this says in Job. He decreed something. In 1 Samuel 17, 46, David decreed this, and he's speaking to Goliath right now. 
This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. I want you to, to, to see and identify the, the confidence of his words. He didn't even say, we will, will uh, strike you down meaning the Israelite army. He said, I'm going to do it. He said, I will strike you down and cut off your head. And this very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. I want you to notice, folks, that David didn't say, I hope this works. (laughs) There was no sign of doubt in his words. He spoke only the desired outcome. All right? And that's consistent with Joel 3.10 that says, Let the weak say, I am strong. Well, David, in comparison to Goliath, was very weak. But God tells us, let the weak say, let the weak say, I am strong. What are you doing? You're prophesying over yourself. See, A lot of people would say, well, isn't that lying to say something that you don't feel or isn't true for you at the moment? No, folks, it's prophesying over yourself. See, we need to understand that we are prophets of our own lives. Folks, this is one of the principles that's changed my life. I've been doing this for years. I speak over my job, our money. I speak over our health, over our children. I speak over this church. I speak over everything that I can think of in my life, just prophesy the word of God over various aspects of my life. Now, I mentioned earlier that the concept of making decrees and declarations is a concept of wealth-oriented material of the non-Christian world, and I want to give you another reference along these lines, and that's the old book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And in this book, Think and Grow Rich, uh, the author, Napoleon Hill, spent several years Uh, studying and researching and and chronicling the practices of the super rich in order to research to write this book. So he he interviewed many of the super rich of the world of that that time, you know, multimillionaires and billionaires. And he wrote about their common denominators, what, what they all have in common. And one of the principles that he discusses at length in this book is... Making declarations. It's what the super rich do. See, he encouraged his readers then to write out a statement of your desire and then read and recite that desire daily. So I'm going to quote from his book right now. He writes, Remember, therefore, when reading aloud the statement of your desire, that the mere reading of the words is of no consequence unless you mix emotion or feeling with your words. He goes on, if you repeat a million times, uh, if you repeat a million times the famous email qui formula, day by day in every way I'm getting better and better, without mixing emotion and faith, hmm, mixing emotion and faith with your words, you will experience no desirable results. Now, I don't know if if uh, Napoleon Hill was a Christian or not, but he actually did quote from the Bible quite a bit in this book. Let's go on with this quote here. Your subconscious mind recognizes and acts only upon thoughts that have been well mixed in a, with emotion or feeling. Plain, unemotional words do not influence the subconscious mind, which that really is another term for your spirit. You will get, he writes, you will get no appreciable results until you learn to reach your subconscious mind with thoughts or spoken words that have been well emotionalized with belief. In other words, say it like you believe it. Say it excitedly, like you know it's going to come to pass. So in kind of putting together a little equation here then, a little pattern of Napoleon Hill's words, you could think of it this way, belief or faith will result in emotion. By the way, you know you're not in faith when you're depressed. 
You know you're not in faith when you're in anxiety over a situation. You know that you're in faith when you, you're at peace and you get excited about the situation. <clears throat> so belief or faith leads to positive emotion, and emotion leads to powerful words, and then powerful words lead to altered reality in your life eventually. Are you following this? Okay, so I'm going to give you some more biblical concepts along these lines. And as we talk about strategic faith maneuvers, because in this day and age, in these last days, we need to be strategic, don't we? We need to stop resting on our laurels and do things that maybe we've never done before in order to get up to a new level. Because listen, folks, a spiritual battle is raging all around us. We had better use strategies that work. So the first strategy I have for you is to renounce and replace. What do I mean by that? If you catch yourself or your spouse saying words that are opposite of what you want to happen, correct one another or catch yourself and say, no, wait a minute, I renounce that. Here's what I want instead. Now, and then you declare the word of God over yourself. Don't, don't be say, saying words that are opposite of what you want. Don't prophesy over your life in a negative way. Because a lot of people say stuff like, well, my goodness, I could just, I never, never can seem to get ahead at the end of the month. Is that what you want? Stop prophesying that over yourself. Okay? Um, or some people say stuff like this. Well, I'm just, I'm just sick and tired all the time. Is that what you want? Is that your prophecy over yourself? Stop saying those things. Say, I am strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Things like that. Okay? But I also want to refer to what the ancient Israelites did along these lines in, in renouncing and replacing. You know, when the Israelites went, to, went astray, and then they would come back to the Lord, uh, they would renounce their former sins, and then they would announce a statement of replacement by declaring their devotion to God. So their words, their words, their words were an important part of their repentance. Okay? So let me give you the next strategy along these lines. Write and recite. So write down the statement of your desire, write down your prophecy, and recite it over yourself. Uh, prophesy over yourself. See, God told the, listen to this, God told the ancient Israelites to write down the word of God and then attach it to their door frames and even to their clothing to have the word of God around them all the time. And so when you make your declarations, base them on the word of God. See, because the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So even if you don't really have the faith right now, you don't have a strong faith that God's going to come through for you in a certain situation. Maybe it's a health problem. Maybe it's a financial problem. I mean, you fill in the blank. But you can find a scripture in the Bible that pertains to your situation and begin declaring it over yourself. And as you hear the word declared, it's going to come in into your ears, go down in your spirit, and faith is going to start to build in you. you listen, that passage, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the, the word of God, doesn't just pertain to what you're doing right now, listening to preaching. You can begin declaring over yourself the word of God and begin building your faith, even if it's not there right now, begin declaring over yourself and build your faith in that way too. So make your declarations based upon the word of God. And by the way, um, this is exactly what I'm talking about here today is exactly why we do a tithing declaration every week. That tithing declaration that we do every week, that's building your faith. Okay? We need to be declaring those things over ourselves. Declaring the goodness of God in the land of the living. Declaring that God is blessing our finances. Declaring that God is blessing our homes. Blessing our, our, uh, our estates. Right? And, and that tithing declaration is all based upon the word of God. That's why we have those scripture references up there on the screen when we make those declarations. So that you know... This is not just something I came up with. These are declarations based on the Word of God. So what the Word of God says about us, why don't we say that over ourselves? Yeah. Amen. <clears throat> and then the last principle on uh, our strategic faith maneuvers is to personalize. So you can take these scriptures and begin to personalize them over yourself and your family. In other words, since we're talking about God's covenant of protection in this series... You can take a line from Psalm 91 and personalize it over yourself for your declaration. Uh, there shall no evil befall me, 
nor any plague or calamity come near my dwelling. Hallelujah. But listen, I want to qualify something now. Listen, don't misunderstand the power of words because words alone won't work unless you do. Now, here's what I mean by that. In other words, it's much more difficult to claim healing for your body if you're abusing your body with drugs and alcohol or even food for that matter. You can't claim prosperity if you're lazy and you refuse to work. And you can undermine God's protection if you do foolish things that put you in harm's way against the will of God. You have to be led by the Spirit and use wisdom. And on that note, likewise, you can't claim something that's totally outside of the will of God and have that work for you. See, words are important, of course, but we still have to exercise wisdom. I'm reminded of a story that Kenneth Copeland told many years ago when he said that a woman had written him and told, told her, she's her words now, God told me, writing to Kenneth Copeland, God told me that you're supposed to be my husband. And she was declaring that over herself, that Kenneth Copeland's going to be my husband. Well, there's just one problem with that. Kenneth Copeland's already married to a wonderful, godly, faithful woman named Gloria. So I'm sorry, you can't claim something over yourself that is in complete violation to the Word of God. It does not work that way. Now, in case you're wondering if this is just an and Andyism, or the, the gospel of Andy, or uh, if I, I just came up with these concepts myself. Um, you know, there's tons and tons of teachings on this sort of thing out there. And one of them, and this is by someone I don't even know that well, Patricia King. I know who she is. I'm not that familiar with her ministry. But she's written a book called The Power of the Decree, Releasing the Authority of God's Word Through Declaration. So that's something you might want to look into as well as there's tons of other authors and uh, pastors that write uh, and preach on this subject as well. Um, <clears throat> Keith Moore, I love his ministry. I, I love his teachings. Andrew Walmack, you can go check out their teachings. So they have uh, tons of stuff on this too. But um, I want to remind you that God has made us co-laborers with him. Isn't that cool that, that God doesn't work independently? Now, this may rock some of your theology, but God doesn't work independently. He's made us co-laborers with him. Co-laborers with him. God has delegated, this blows me away, God has delegated his authority, his authority in the earth to you and me. Jesus literally said, I give you authority over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Now, who's he referring to? The demonic. Now, let me ask you a question. Are there any demons in heaven? No. So where are we supposed to use this authority? On earth, of course. And part of how we do that is with our words and with our decrees. So start declaring God's word over your health, over your finances, and over your children. And yes, declare over this country ladies and gentlemen. Stop saying stuff like, this country is going to hell in a handbasket. Is that what you want? Stop prophesying that over this nation. Begin saying things like, like this. The United States of America is one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something. The Pledge of Allegiance has a decree and a declaration of godliness and justice and unity over our country. That's why the left has come against the, the, the Pledge of Allegiance so hard and worked to get it out of our schools so that no longer is liberty and justice for all being declared in all of our schools and universities ever again. That's what they wanted. They wanted it because, look, the elite know the power of the, of, of the decree. The elite know the power of declaration, and they want to hide it from you, and they want that declaration in the, uh, the Pledge of Allegiance out of our schools, out of our universities, out of society as a whole, so that no longer will we be declaring that we are one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. 
How about your children? Here's a good one. Isaiah 54, 13. My children are taught of the Lord, and great will be their peace. That's a great one. Amen. See, Andrew Walmack says God's word is voice activated. Don't you like that? God's word is voice activated. Both where God is concerned and where we're concerned. All right, so I'm going to begin to come down home stretch here um, and hopefully wrap this up in the next little bit here. But I, I have a little bit more to cover. So you okay so far? Uh, okay, so there's something about persistence that God highly values. So the, our final note, uh, final section here, not final note, but final, final section, is that persistence is a sign of faith. See, Jesus, uh, as an example of this, when Jesus cursed the fig tree, it withered immediately. Withered from the ground up immediately. They came back the next day, back the same way, and, that, and the fig tree was, was withered uh, it, it was noticeable at that point. But the Bible tells us that as, as soon as Jesus spoke to it, it withered from the roots up. But it wasn't actually visible until the next day when they came back the same way. Well, the thing I want you to notice about Jesus is that Jesus, when he declared something and he, he cursed the fig tree, he was declaring it. He, he was prophesying. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. He prophesied over the, the fig tree. He spoke to it. He spoke to an object. Okay, and it withered. Now, the thing I want to point out is that Jesus had perfect faith because it wasn't defiled by sin. You and I don't have perfect faith, and it's often, often counteracted sometimes by our doubt and by our sin. So sometimes we just have to keep at it. Sometimes we're not going to make a declaration and see that thing change overnight with just one declaration. Sometimes we have to keep at it. It's like trying to break down a brick wall with a sledgehammer. The, the, the first hit's probably not going to do it, but you keep at it, and that wall's going to give eventually. Amen. And that's what the faith walk is like. That's what decreeing is like. So there's something about persistence that God highly values. So I want to look again here at the account of the Syrophoenician woman who had a demon-possessed daughter. So I'm going to read to you uh, this, this account. Uh, but Jesus replied, and he's speaking to the Syrophoenician woman who came asking... Um, healing for her daughter, Jesus replied to her, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Who are the dogs? He was referring to the Gentiles. She was a Gentile woman. And he was called to the children of Israel. But man, why would he say something so harsh like that? He was testing her. Verse 27, yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. See, he was testing her. And then with that answer, I can just picture Jesus' body language. I think he went, oh, woman. Jesus answered, your faith is great. In other words, you passed the test. Your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. That's Matthew chapter 15. Now, by the way, Jesus didn't say this, your faith is great. He didn't say that to very many people. In fact, most of the time, Jesus was exasperated with people's lack of faith. I remember only one other occasion where Jesus said, said this to someone or about someone, and it was the centurion with the sick servant. Now, on this occasion with the Syrophoenician woman, Jesus said this woman had great faith based upon, number one, she humbled herself and was not offended by Jesus' initial words. And number two, and this is the most important one here, she simply would not give up even when it looked like Jesus was turning her away. See, God honors that kind of tenacity and persistence. So if you didn't get what you were looking for in the first few weeks or months or even years of praying, it's not over. Keep pressing in, keep declaring, keep seeking God. There will be a time when, bam, you'll see breakthrough if you keep expecting and believing. Hallelujah. Praise God. So do you want some examples of uh, some faith decrees that maybe you can use? 
Here's one on uh, the, uh, it's a declaration of protection, which is what our series is based on, the covenant of protection. Here's a declaration of protection from Psalm 91. And it's personalized. If you want to take a screenshot of that, or if you want me to send it to you, I can. But you can say something along these lines. And I, I say this all the time over me and my family, by the way. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He delivers me from de deadly plagues. He is my shield and fortress because I've made the Lord my dwelling and the most high my refuge. There shall no evil befall me or my family. No plague, calamity, or tragedy can approach our house. For he, he commands his angels concerning us to guard us in all of our ways. And then here's a personal one. Uh, it's one of my many personal health declarations. I have many that cover different things, but here's one. Uh, and because I have a family history of Alzheimer's, my, my mother died of Alzheimer's, and I've had several head traumas uh, over the years, I've made this a very important part of my particular declaration. So mine, mine is this, I have a sharp, quick mind. I have excellent recall and ever-increasing intelligence. Every cell and system of my body functions with the perfection of God's design. I have perfect cardiovascular function and strong pain-free joints. I am cancer-free and disease-free, and my immune system immediately eradicates any, anything foreign that enters my body. I live long and strong. Now, we're, we're, we're about done, but I want to do one more thing here. I, I also want us to consider beginning to declare over our church. You know, one of the things that we've been believing for for quite a long time now is a church building of our own that we own and don't have to rent. And so I think that we need to start making that declaration. As a matter of fact, uh, how many of you in the room know the name Mylon Lefebvre? Okay, probably about two-thirds of you. For those of you that don't know who that is, Mylon Lefebvre um, used to be a, a rising rock star in the 19, uh, uh, late 1970s, and then he got radically saved. And, uh, and, and he came out with his first Christian album in, I think it was 1981 or 82, and became one of the biggest selling uh, Christian musical artists out there. He was, he was basically a rock and roll artist, but Christian music. He had 18 uh, gold records to his name throughout his career. And then in his late 40s, early 50s, he got diagnosed with uh, congestive heart failure. And um, it really changed his career. He had, had to really slow down. And uh, one day he was uh, in Panama City Beach, where we go a lot. My, my, I have family there. He was walking on the beach with uh, uh, just praying to the Lord and just uh, seeking the Lord. He had gone down there to just take some time away. And he was holding a book by F.F. Bosworth uh, called Christ the Healer. And there was somebody else on the beach at the same time as him who spotted this man with that book in his hand, and it was Gloria Copeland. And she went back and told Kenneth, and she said, there's a young man out on the beach. I think we need to get to know him and pray for him. So they went and introduced themselves, and he didn't know who they were, uh, but they began to minister to him. And the more he got to learn about their ministry and about healing, and especially through this book by F.F. Bosworth, Christ the Healer, he said to Kenneth Copeland, I need to come move near you and learn more about this. And guess what? God healed him of congestive heart failure. And then he had a ministry for many more years, a teaching ministry for many more years after that. He came to this church. He and his wife came to this church a few years ago and ministered. Now, unfortunately, uh, later on in his life, he just recently passed away. He had contracted cancer. He had some other issues. And, and uh, he did end up succumbing and dying of that. And, um, uh, and you know, it was very sad. And it's, it's kind of rocked the world of some people who... who have followed Mylan's ministry and know that he's a man of faith. Um, and some people have said, well, you know, I don't know then about what he's preached because he ended up dying of cancer. Folks, let me tell you something. I told you last week, don't base the word of God and your, uh, your handling of the word of God based upon what somebody else did. Because listen, he got, he got a death sentence in his early 50s with congestive heart failure. The doctor said, we can't do anything more for you. And God healed him and gave him 25 more years of life. 
And at the end of his life, how many of you know, eventually something's going to take you out and me? Uh, None of us get out of this alive. Okay? Okay, so, and I I do believe that there, at some point, people just get tired of fighting, and they're like, Lord, I just want to come home. And I believe that's what happened with Mylan. Uh, Knowing some of the things that we've heard um, that his wife has said, um, I believe that he got to the point where he was expecting to go home and be with Jesus. And that's okay. That is okay. All right. But um, Mylon and I, uh, when, after he came here and, and he, he ministered, he and I became kind of friends, and we, we would talk fairly often over the phone. Um, and I learned fairly soon into that friendship that when you talk to Mylon, you better have either a notepad handy or your cell phone to record the conversation because Mylon's, his, his philosophy was this, time is short, Jesus is coming back, and every conversation counts. Every time I talked to him, he would hit me with something. I'm like, man, that's so good. And so I got into the habit of either writing things down or recording our conversations. So one of the conversations that we had a couple of years ago, I'm going to share a portion of that with you because I recorded it. Would that be okay? Because he, he prophesied over our church where our church building is concerned. And I want you to hear his words. So Tom's going to pull that up right now. Uh, pull the volume up nice and loud so people can hear it. It's about a three-minute clip. And then that we'll pray after that. Go ahead. I would say this. I believe I'm prompted by the Holy Ghost to say this to you, Andy. Somewhere God's got a building for you that you don't have to pay for. The importance of living by faith, one of the things that has to happen when, when God said this is the word of faith which we preach when Paul said that he said the sentence before that says we believe and therefore we speak and this is the word of faith which we preach we believe something we speak it we say it mm-hmm. we say it publicly we put ourselves out there we make ourselves vulnerable we can't prove we heard it from God but we believe it and so we go ahead and say it, and then they're all looking, yeah, well, if that doesn't come to pass, you're a false prophet. I know there's people that say stuff like that, but I don't care what those kind of people think. I don't care what they do or say. I only care what God does and what he says. And when he speaks something into my spirit, I say it. I would go in on church on Sunday, and I would say, if you believe it, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth or in your heart, but if you believe that, I tell them, you know, I don't know when or how God's going to do this, but I believe he put it in my spirit that he's going to give us a building. And it's going to be a really cool place where we can meet and not have to pay. Uh, you know, $3,000 a month is not much, but it's still, what, uh, $36,000 a year. Well, in 10 years, it's $360,000. So it is a, it is a mortgage. And, and the bottom line is, I, I believe there's a place, uh, you know, once people start hearing it, it puts a seed. And then God can say to them, you know, remember that property that, that you don't really need and want and, and, uh, you're, you're thinking about selling it. Maybe you ought to give that to me. Hmm. You know, we have not because we ask not. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to put it out there and say, okay, here's my vision, and this is what I'm believing for. And then wait on the Lord and expect it to happen, and it will. Amen. Amen. Yep, I agree with all that, brother. And uh, so uh, as I'm sowing into your ministry, even as we speak, um, Lord that will uh, just be um, an expected return on our investment in what you're doing for the kingdom. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I, I speak blessing over your, and I believe it'll come back to you 36 and 100 fold in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. So Mylan's in heaven now enjoying you know, the wonders of heaven. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm just, you know what? I don't know why it's taken me so long to come around to uh, taking his words as the prophecy that I believe it was regarding our church building. Now, Don has been talking about a building, uh, a church building debt-free for a long time. It's, it's taken me a while to come around to that. 
But I was going through some of my uh, recordings the other day on my phone, and I found that recording by Mylan, and I listened to it, and I'm like, why haven't I been talking about this? Why haven't I been moving on this? So I think one of the things that we can begin doing as a church is begin prophesying over our, our church building, that we have a new, beautiful, spacious, functional church building, debt-free, provided by God. Are, can your faith go there? Amen. Amen. Stand up with me, if you will. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.